Welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures to the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us live for a session sometime, you can join our weekly Control the Room Facilitation Lab. It's a free event to meet fellow facilitators and explore new techniques so you can apply the things you learn in the podcast in real time with other facilitators. Sign up today at voltagecontrol.com facilitation lab. If you'd like to learn more about my book, Magical Meetings, you can download the Magical Meetings Quick Start Guide, a free PDF reference with some of the most important pieces of advice from the book. Download a copy today at magicalmeetings.com. Today, I'm with Neil Ford, the Chief Marketing Officer for Within Incorporated. Neil came to our attention because of his sudden viral notoriety on TikTok and YouTube, where his stories about the better side of human beings have found an audience thirsty for something other than the parade of conflict and perpetual outrage dominating our traditional social media. Welcome to the show, Neil. It's very nice for you to have me. Oh, I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I've been a big fan of the videos. They Anytime a new one pops up, it really has a positive impact on my day. So it's glad to have you here. And I want to just start with just hearing a little bit about how you got your start in this work of spreading kindness. Uh, it's kind of a funny thing, Doug. I hadn't started out with any intention of doing that. What I, what I had done was uh, my company within is a, we supply labor to um, Silicon Valley and, and technical talent. And what happened was, you know, we, as we were just starting out, we didn't have a giant marketing budget. So I, I reckon that maybe a kind of cool way for us to get the word out is to do some videos on LinkedIn. And because I couldn't necessarily make any promises about how much better we were than everybody else, I thought, well, let me just make general statements about, you know, my attitude and our company's attitude towards business and people. And that started to shape itself. You know, it it sort of took on a kind of life of its own. People would give me a lot of positive feedback and and I was trying to just do something inexpensive and fairly uh, bite-sized, but that would nevertheless contain a kind of ethos, a sort of uh, genetic imprint that positivity is a good thing. (laughs) And uh, as it turns out, my daughter and I were having breakfast in uh, one day in a little diner and she decided to post one of the videos to TikTok. And it kind of blew up. And the, the one that really got over was called a postcard from 1969. It very rapidly got about three and a half million hits on TikTok. And then that bounced over. Somebody just pushed it over onto Facebook. And it got like another five million shares there. So clearly it was like, wow, um... I might be saying something that people like, and uh, I can go deeper into it, but that, that was just the fact. It was like a lot of things that get unexpected traction. It was sort of accidental. I love that. In fact, one of my favorite forms of innovation is called exaptation, which is where people just kind of stumble into stuff. You know, it's like the guy that invented the microwave just happened to have a chocolate bar right. next to a microwave tower. <laughs> and had a chocolatey pocket. But That's uh, right. <laughs> 
So for our listeners, what's the 69 postcard about? Postcard from 1969 was a reminiscence about a true story that happened to my father and I. We were, uh, 1969 was a very rough year for America. And it was, uh, not to, just to paraphrase the, the video, it was all about the incredible strife and social division there was in America. And people forget, because of our current circumstances, they forget that this can be a kind of persistent American phenomenon that we're not, we're a little bit at each other's throats and we don't see eye to eye on very important, significant issues. Back then it was the Vietnam War and it was civil rights and it was the politics of assassination. I mean, it was a really rough era. And my father was just at his wit's end. He'd grown up in the depression and he'd seen firsthand how Americans can come together in very desperate circumstance. And it was sort of soul-destroying to him that the country was tearing itself apart. When we, uh, we went on this drive together and our car broke down, and what then happened was the astonishing generosity and kindness of strangers in getting us back on the road. And it, it kind of restored his sense of humanity. If you had told him at the start of the day, you're going to be broken down in the middle of summer in Bakersfield in the California Central Valley in a temperature of about 102 degrees. And yet, by the time this day ends, you will have your faith in humanity restored and you'll feel better about everything. It would have been very difficult for him to write that script. But that was the fact. That's how it went down. That's like a lot of things. You have what you think is going to be a disastrous start to your day, and then it turns out to be one of the coolest things that could have happened to you. It shapes your future. Well, you know, I was talking to a public speaker trainer recently, and she was talking about how recognize our own emotions and how they play an impact and how we respond and, and what unfolds in front of us, right? So example being before you go on stage, if your heart's pounding a little bit quickly and you haven't done this much, and so you think, oh, wow, I'm just terrible at this. And you let your head get ahead mm-hmm. of you and the negative thoughts take control. Or even you see that person on the front row yawns. Maybe they're up all night caring for a sick loved one, and yet you're thinking, oh, they hate me, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so those those negative thoughts really kind of destroy you. And to your point, like, you don't know how the rest of the day is going to unfold. or And so it's, gosh, a little positivity goes a long way. Yeah, I think the main thing to keep in mind is that people don't think badly of people don't think of you at all. It's it's very rare when it's about you. Yeah, that's, you know, that actually – Reminds me of the the coffee shop story you told about, I think you called it perfect. Yeah, yeah. And the lady that, you know, clearly she was absorbed in something other than, it wasn't about the barista, but wow, did that barista have a tough time. Yeah, they, uh, in that story, the, the thing, there's sort of like three heroes to the story. Uh, for the benefit of your listeners, the, the basic thrust of it was that we rolled into a co- into a Starbucks a woman went up to the barista in a very crowded morning and made a complicated order. And when the barista repeated it back and didn't quite get it right, the woman was sort of mean-spirited and rude about it. And in order to console the barista, none of us called attention to the fact that the lady was being mean. We simply decomplicated our offers and everybody <laughs> everybody just kept asking for a black coffee. And that was it, one after the other, just as a gesture to say, hey, lady, we got your back. You know, nothing complex. It's just going to be 10 of us, one after the other. All you got to do is just turn around and pour us a coffee. We're good. And what happened was that the, the, the woman, uh, it wasn't just that. 
But when we would pick up our orders, everybody would sort of turn to the barista and say, ah, perfect. And it was sort of our way of chastening this woman who'd been mean to say, look, you know, don't ask for something complicated. It'll, you'll get it the correct way. This is not to say that people aren't allowed to order complicated things at Starbucks. It's just don't be a dick about it. Yeah. And um, in the end, the hero of the story turns out to be the woman who was rude because she, she had the presence of mind to see that, you know what, I should have been nicer. Everybody else is being nice. So she went up and apologized to the barista. And to me, that really truly was a heroic act because we're all capable of being dickish. We're all capable of having a bad day and being mean. It's the ones that decide they're going to apologize for it, the ones that take a step back, recognize their faults, and, and try to make amends. Those are the ones that are going to make everything better. Because, you know, if you don't double down on your meanness, if you acknowledge that other people are humans and maybe you didn't, maybe you had a, a bad effect on them, and then you fix it or you try to fix it, it's really quite an extraordinary, it's like an analgesic for the whole culture. If people would just admit occasionally that they're wrong, just acknowledge, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be, I didn't mean to have that effect on you. People are hugely forgiving. Yeah, you know, I think the trick is making it safe for people to do so. Because mm. it can be really scary to, to step up and make that move. And I think so many dynamics at play there in that story because, hey, here's someone suffering and, hey, we can make their life a little bit easier. But then also giving that lady a playbook and an open space a freedom to realize that, oh, maybe I can, maybe I can also like step back a little bit and be a little nicer. It reminds me of some other stories, uh, specifically the blowing out the, the US, USB cable. And I want to just point out to listeners, you know, everyone, I would say at least the uh, large majority of the listeners are facilitators or people that are interested in facilitation. How do we make our meetings better? How do we support our coworkers and teammates? And uh, how do we work better? and collaborate better. And uh, we all know that positivity, kindness, listening, fostering these kinds of behaviors is really critical. And I think this guy, this support guy, had just such an amazing knack, apparently, for making people feel comfortable not knowing the right answer and not, uh, not making people feel bad just because they made a mistake. Yeah, the trouble with... Uh... With IT is that people are often, when they have a problem, they're often under a lot of stress because the fact that their equipment isn't working means they're not getting their job done and they, they find that hugely problematic. What they're hoping for from IT is an instant fix. <laughs> and and often these, oftentimes these things have to go through a certain pecking order of process. What, what this guy, Chris, Chris Franciscani, I used to work with him at Saatchi, what he was so good at was he understood that 90% of the time, the problem is going to be really simple. It'll be something silly like your, your keyboard isn't plugged in. The problem is that if you, if you ask somebody if their keyboard isn't plugged in, it's embarrassing if they find out that it isn't. It's, it's a huge embarrassment. And instead of being happy that you have fixed their problem, uh, about 40% of the time, they're upset that you now know that they were an idiot. You know, and so they don't like to be confronted by the fact that they're stupid. And and I shouldn't even put it that way because they're not stupid. It happens all the time. Stuff yeah. gets unplugged. So what Chris would do is instead of going there, instead of just saying, is it plugged in, you know, in order to embarrass you, um, he would make a suggestion that, oh, you know what? Sometimes this is related to, and then he would come up with this fake 
thing about dust in the USB connector, just so that you would have the opportunity to pull the keyboard away and see if it was plugged in. That's not what he's saying he's doing. He's saying, oh, I need you to unplug it. Okay, what he's really doing is giving you the opportunity to see whether it's plugged in. And then when you discover it's, oh shit, it wasn't plugged in. Instead of asking you to admit it, he says, now I want you to blow on the USB connector loud enough so that I can hear it. Like, why would he do that? Well, because he wants, he wants to give everybody the permission to like act like, okay, I'm following instructions. You know, <laughs> and then he says, okay, now you plug it back in and let's see if that solves the problem. And about, about 85% of the time that really did solve the problem. Not because there was dust in the connector, but because he'd given people the opportunity to check if the thing was plugged in. Okay, so what does all this amount to? It seems like such a small thing. Well, what it, what it amounts to, to me, is he was, that was his approach to everything, is I'm not here to embarrass you, I'm here to fix your problem. And in order to fix your problem, I have to walk you through certain steps that might embarrass you. So I'm trying to think about like what the equivalent would be. You go to the doctor, you know, and you, uh, it, it's, it's something simple that you're doing that you don't realize you're doing, and he, and he, he or she could give you, the, uh, give you permission to admit something without making you feel silly. That's like a great thing to do. I'm trying to think, Doug, of, of how your listeners might make use of this. You know, it's, it's really, I think, really pretty profound. And I, I think people, I would encourage folks to just think about their own situations and how they might make it, uh, they just might soften those interactions and make it safe to speak up and people to be vulnerable. And as facilitators, we often have to do that. You know, we often in conversations or in moments of tension or conflict, we might have to ask people to step off the edge a little bit, right? Yeah. And giving people a soft way to do that, I think, is is really great. But but when you mentioned the doctor, it made me think of the the the, the doorknob or the door handle phenomenon, where you know you're leaving the doctor and all the uh, every question you had for the doctor flood oh, into your right. head, and it's like maybe that's what the doctors could do for us, like. You know, they could simulate an early ending <laughs> so that we so that we can like be ready with all those questions. <laughs> wow. That's clever. That's kind of a cool idea. I will say one thing that one of my colleagues, Shreyas, does, which is fantastic. He uh he will say to clients often at the beginning of a process, he will say, Look, uh, you and I both know that this can't possibly go perfectly. As we're doing this work, right? We know it cannot be perfect. Therefore, let's acknowledge right now, we're going to have disagreements down the line. There are going to be small things that bother you. There are going to be little things that irritate me. You're going to make, possibly you're going to be asking for something you didn't think of before and so forth. And I just want you to know, we'll figure it out. We'll, it'll, we'll be okay. So even when we have disagreements, I don't want you to be scared of them. And I don't want you to be scared to not speak up when something's bothering you because it's just an organic part of the process. And I thought, wow, Shreyas, well done. That was really good. Because just by acknowledging that you're going to have trouble and that bringing it up is not a bad thing, it relieves people of the guilt of worrying about whether or not the, this is what they really want. I, I think we could all, at the beginning of any process, acknowledge, like, for example, let's take your example. Suppose the doctor were to say, hey, so... The way these things work is we talk about this and then you get out to the parking lot and finally think of the thing <laughs> that was really bothering you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to try and 
and suggest things that you might ask, and maybe that will trigger something else. If the, if the physician just acknowledges that this happens, I think it uncorks a kind of relief on behalf of the patient. That's right. And oftentimes, the reason we don't think of these things is we're just too tense. So to whatever extent the physician can make you feel relaxed, it makes it possible for you to think of these things. You know, you were saying something earlier about sometimes you just get in your own head and you cycle through and you can't get out of the loop of tension and stress. And and my friend Marcus used to call it living in the wreckage of your future. He <laughs> he he would like he'd get so caught up in the disasters that might happen, he simply couldn't be present. And if you have a way of making people relax and feel calm and feel taken care of, it tends to push them out of that loop. Teammates that will say, you know what, we're still going to win. Don't relax. We're still going to win. You got this. A mate that is very supportive and says, you know, you're going to be okay. It's We're going to make it. I, did you see that, uh, that documentary on um, the brilliant stand-up comedian? Jeez, who am I thinking of? Carlin? Yeah, George Carlin. Oh, and so good. He married the absolute perfect person for his career because he came back and announced that he was going to give up his TV job, which he didn't find satisfying. It was very early in his career. He just, it wasn't him. And he wanted to explore a completely different direction, which was going to set them back financially. And when he asked, you know, how she felt about that, her response was, well, I'll start making the new press releases. And as soon as your partner or your colleague hits you with that as the response, like, let's get it, let's do it, it pushes in the clutch and you're no longer in first gear. Now you're in second gear. And uh, I think we could all do a better job of, of supporting our colleagues and, our, and just people we meet every day at, in their jobs and let them know, I got you, I got you. We're all good here. Did you hear, not to sort of dig into the stories, but one of my favorite stories, which again was a true story, was the one where we were all on that plane from San Jose to Los Angeles. We used to take this plane all the time. The Nerd Bird. Does that mm -hmm. ring a bell? Yes. <laughs> okay, so we got on this plane. The Nerd Bird was one of these flights. It was like a 6 a.m. flight, L.A. to San Jose. And then likewise, there would be a Friday flight, 6 p.m., 7 p.m. And you would notice that you'd get on the same plane in L.A. heading for San Jose at 6 a.m. and be the same people every time. And it would be the same crews, the same flight crews. They were always making that trip. So, you know, everybody got sort of familial. And there was this phenomenon that occurred, which is we got very proprietary and about, you know, we felt like we owned the flight crews, like they belonged to us. <laughs> like if they tried to bring in a substitute crew, we'd be like, what the hell? Where's Janet? And, uh, you know. <laughs> So what happened one day was that this guy gets on and he starts to try to stuff his, there's no way his over his bag's going in the overhead. It's too big. But he's trying like hell to shove stuff around and move things. And the flight attendant comes up and says, listen, uh, let me check your bag. I think your bag's too big. And he wasn't taking no for an answer. And he starts pulling other people's bags out. And she's like, would you please let me check your bag? Uh, please don't do that. And he got kind of dickish with her. And what he didn't realize was, you think she's alone on this plane? <laughs> and guys got up out of their seats 
and came forward. And he, at first he's thinking that they're going to help me with my bag. No, dude, we're going to tell you to shut. I won't swear on your program, but it was like, sit down. And the idea was <laughs> like, you are being mean to her. She is one of us. Please do not speak badly to her because that is making her job difficult. This guy was like, what the hell? What is this, like five air marshals? Well, the best part of the story was that she turns to the plane and realizes everybody has her back. Like, this isn't, you're not alone on this plane. You are among friends. And we're not going to let this jackass spoil your day. Well, he sat down, God bless him, and he was, you know, he shut up. But all of a sudden, her demeanor completely changed. When she realized everybody was there to support her, you know, it really improved her the way that she did her job. She was just extra smiling to people and all the guys that had gotten up, they got an extra wink, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I, I love this story and it, and it, I was already thinking about a previous guest that I had on, which is Peter Gray from the University of Virginia. And he does a lot of work in, in network analysis. And one of the things in network analysis is this idea of the energizer. And if you don't have any energizers in your network, it's a really bad sign for your network, for your company, for your organization, for your cause. And what you're describing, whether it's Carlin's wife or even these passengers on this plane, these are energizers because they're providing positive energy into the equation. They're saying, I want to hear what you have to say. I'm going to support you in your next steps. I think it actually permeates a lot of your stories around how, you know, a random stranger or a colleague can spread a little positivity, can support people in some meaningful way. Yeah, there is a phenomenon in quantum mechanics where vibrations of energy actually have a, a, a an effect around them on their environment and the other. Uh, it, you've probably heard that in quantum mechanics, you can actually observe a quantum phenomenon and by observing it, you've changed it. It's the strangest, mm -hmm. weirdest thing. Well, you go out there in the world and you reflect a certain positivity. It's astonishing how it creates momentum of positivity. You and I were talking before the, the things we started recording, Doug, and we were talking about how there are technologies right now that are weaponized to divide us. They are negativity, outrage, rage, yelling, screaming in the public sphere. And what I find is that it's unlike previous times in our history because everybody is anonymous. You can be anonymous in the public space. And so there's just all this vitriol and there are people who make their living driving a wedge between us. And my goal in all of the videos that I'm doing is to be the antidote to that. Now, I am a very, very small, tiny little infinitesimal molecule, but I find that the more positivity I radiate out into the universe, the more like-minded people there are. And my hope is that by reminding people, there are forces trying to divide you, but, but people actually aren't like that. 90% of us are pretty cool. And of the remainder, they're just having a bad day. Yes, there are sociopaths and psychopaths, and there are people who just don't give a crap, and there are narcissists, but their number is actually quite small. It's just that now that they've been given a platform and people love watching a good train wreck, 
they become large parts of our lives. But we can't allow ourselves to let that negativity, we can't allow ourselves to spend any more time with it. You got to let it go. Don't watch the negativity. Don't listen to it. Just recognize people are generally pretty good. And the way that I always caution people about that is I say, uh, uh, so I'll, I'll prove to you that people are mostly good. And, and it's that, think of your own case. Have you ever said something that you regretted later? Have you ever been mean to something and, and someone and needed to apologize? Of course, the answer is yes, of course you have. Does that mean you're a bad person? No. No, you're human. If you make an effort to apologize, though, that's also very human, and that'll go a long way. And, and by the way, a little advice on apologies. An apology should never contain a but. Mm. Right? I'm so sorry, but, you know, just be sorry. Like, even if you have a good excuse, like, I'm so sorry my mother died yesterday. You don't, you don't have to tack that on. Just be sorry. Mm. And, and by the way, and that includes, don't be, I'm sorry, but it's partly your fault. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause that's the real, the non-apology apology. Like, I'm sorry if someone took offense, mm. What you're pretending is that it was somebody else's fault for taking offense, uh, you know, or do you know what I'm talking about? That non-apology apology that's so in vogue. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's pretty selfish because it's actually pointing out that, you know, you think you have an issue with, with someone else. Why, why should they take offense? You know, it's like, you're also like automatically separating those. You're not sorry to everyone, just the people that took offense. Maybe some people felt weird because you offended others. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. everyone deserves an apology if you offended someone. Yeah. And then, uh, and, uh, also, I do find that taking offense is like, a, in the words of the, the Stoics, you know, pay no mind to the things that you can't control. Mm. You have only the control over your own reaction to things. And you needn't inflame things. Uh, to go back to this principle of, of the forces of division, at Within, we were dealing with a cybersecurity company. And we were helping them develop um, some of their programming. And they were, they sort of pulled me aside at one point and said, you know, Cyber, cyber crime, cyber terrorism, all these cyber uh, threats are, are going to increase because they work so well. And he started acquainting me with just how many divisions of the Soviet, or not Soviet, but the Russian FSB. That's the, the subsequent version of the KGB. The FSB has whole divisions, whole giant bureaus dedicated to spreading misinformation in the United States, spreading division. They will create whole identities and bot farms and everything else in order to create outrage and tension. These are, you know when you say, oh, like armies of people doing this? No, literally armies. The Chinese have the same thing. They have two very big bureaus whose purpose is cybercrime and fomenting, disrupting America uh, because it cannot be destroyed from the outside. So they attempt to destroy it from the inside. And when you have professional, weaponized divisions of incredibly smart people trying to sow division in the United States, we have to recognize that it's not, you're not disagreeing necessarily because your people are bad or you, or you have an enemy. It's because you are being, you are being encouraged to be mad at people. Mm. And they use technology to do it. What is the antidote? 
The antidote is to unplug, to try to recognize the humanity in your fellow people, to see it when it's there, to admire it when it's there, and when you are less than perfect, to be perfectly all right and enable yourself to go, hey, I'm sorry about that. I really, I didn't mean to upset you. You know, as I think about the anecdote of at the system level, and this video is kind of feeding out there and becoming part of the algorithm and getting recommended, and it's like people have a dose of it. There's also, I think at the individual level, a really profound shift of concentrating on the positive, practicing the positive, affirming the positive, versus just getting sucked into the negative. And what I mean by that is there's actually been some research that shows that venting doesn't work. Oh, yeah. It only winds you up. Yeah, yeah. And you get you get accustomed to venting. So you just want to yeah. vent about whenever something happens, that's your instinct. Go vent. Yeah. Uh, so the negative is just as addictive as the positive. It's just what do we seek out and what are we wanting to hone and, and build up with inside ourselves? There's a there's a, an astonishing quality of sunny people who make other people smile. And I, I have a huge admiration for people that are just generally upbeat. And there's a, a quality that I most admire, and that is the ability of people to be calm in the face of stress. Mm. It's not a quality that I have, hence why I'm such a big admirer, because I see how it's very difficult for me. And I look at people who remain calm in the face of stress or in the face of somebody coming at them angrily and they remain peaceful. It is a very calming and soothing thing. So as you were saying, to vent is the opposite. Venting, it spreads bile. It spreads negative energy. And you know, in the law of attraction, it doesn't attract peace to it. It only attracts more, more violence and fear. And you know, uh, leaders, great leaders, radiate an air of calm in the face of what seems to be everything burning down. You know, zoo animals are on fire, machine gun bullets are flying overhead, and leaders radiate a sense of calm and uh, don't worry, you know, we'll get through this. And I think positivity, a sense of keeping your eyes open and your ears open and looking for the positive, you'd be shocked at how many good things happen to you during a day. But you never took notice of it because it didn't cause you any pain. The person that holds the door open for you, the person who points out, oh, you've got a little piece of you know, food on your, on your goatee, or who just smiles at you, or in a family in particular, I always make it a point to, when my children are in the room, to touch their mother sweetly. You know, like, so I always touch my wife when I walk by, because I want the children to feel the reassurance that I love their mother. And those little gestures, you don't notice them as the good parts of life, but I think it might be a good thing for us to every once in a while recognize and just take stock of the fact that of my colleagues, how many of them do I like? You'd be surprised that probably most of them. <laughs> and even the colleagues that you don't necessarily like, if you were to stay sunny around them and always be a positive effect on their lives, they might not be able to control themselves. They might wind up liking you in return. <laughs> You know, it strikes me, again, I, I kind of mentioned this a moment ago, this, like, there's a phenomenon here where there's different grain sizes to the same work, right? Whether it's something small, like touching your wife when you walk by, or something bigger where you're creating, actually producing videos and putting them out there, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are seeing these things. It's still local solutions to a global problem. 
And that's one of the phenomenons of solving complex problems. I don't know how intentional that is or if it's just something that comes naturally to you, but I, I, I really applaud that because so often people get paralyzed because they see how just the weight of the problem and how big it is, so it's hard to take action. And these, these simple movements can, can compound and, and have a big impact. That's a, that's a great observation, the idea that you can be overwhelmed by the scale of problems. And, and it, that being overwhelmed paralyzes you from action. I, I wish, uh, Doug, that I had started out with the intention of doing what I'm doing. But truthfully, once it got a kind of accidental traction, I just grew addicted to the positive feedback. There's this great Gary Vaynerchuk sentiment. He goes, never read your comments. Never read your comments because <laughs> you don't want to let the haters stop you. And you don't want to get addicted to the positive because you'll start to think things that aren't true of yourself. Well, and I was saying, it's too late, Gary. I'm already addicted to the, to the positive feedback I get because people will so often have the reaction of, oh, you know, you've really made my morning or these are, pos you know, these are tears of joy and so forth. And I think to myself, well, I'm not making any money on this, but it's certainly feeding me in ways that I, I pretty much will never stop, <laughs> you know, because even if I haven't monetized it, I still love the idea that there's somebody out there that I don't know who I have had a good effect on and has, I've improved their day. I, in fact, I think that's one of the coolest things, the fact that I don't know these people. How cool is that, right? That somebody in Olathe, Kansas or you know Sheridan, Wyoming or Raleigh. By the way, you'll get a kick out of this. I mentioned somebody said to me, hey, you know, if you're ever in uh, Terre Haute, you know, stop in and let me know and I'll buy you a cup of coffee. And I thought, oh, that, that, that's kind of a cool idea, right? And then other people would say it. They'd go, oh, yeah, if you're, if you're in Tampa, come, stop in, I'll, get you, I'll buy you dinner. And I thought, what a nice sentiment. Gee, I, I would actually like to go out and do that. Well, there have been enough of them now where I'm actually planning on a kind of a tour and going out and seeing if I can make it all the way across the country without paying for a cup of coffee. Wow. And, um, it's not fully baked yet, but I'm working on it with these guys from Sheridan, Wyoming that I met because of the videos. These young guys, they're the best. They have this company called Go Fast, Don't Die. And they're sort of a, they're kind of, they make accessories and stuff for motor, motorcycle culture. But it's a very certain kind of a attitude that they have, which is, hey, you know, we want to run from any regrets. We want to, we want to live like, you know, I don't want to end this, this adventure thinking to myself, oh, I didn't do this thing, or I didn't meet that person. And they're just such gamers, not gamers in the sense like they play video games, but they love their life. And so they've said, hey, you know what we could do? What we could do is get, we'll tack ourselves onto like some band traveling the country, and maybe you could be the opening act. And then we'll go around and we'll stop in all these towns and, you know, we'll do podcasts based on the on the uh, conversations you have with these people. I'm thinking, that sounds like a great idea. Let's, let's do it. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, I think it could be really cool. And, and uh, it's just about finding a tribe out there of people that spiritually agree with you. And by the way, I know for a fact that I'm getting people from all over the political spectrum. In other words, I know plenty of 
blue state and red state. And I'm getting a lot of like, hey, that was a great message. And I'm thinking, you see, you see, if you people are as divided as you think you are, you wouldn't be responding to this message this way, right? That proves to me, that's, the, that's proof of concept that we're all actually kind of in the middle on this stuff. And, and this division that we have is artificial, it's created, it's fomented by people that hate you from, you know, other places. And there's a special circle in hell for anybody that is trying to drive us apart when in fact most of us all just want to be good people to each other. So I could get all the way across the country, red state, blue state, I'll find people, definitely. Well, if you're anywhere near Austin, we'll take care of you. Oh, Austin for sure. That's absolutely <laughs> Austin for sure. Because I know people out there that are that have signaled back and said, "Yeah, we got to do this." I'm like, "Okay." That's so cool. You know, it, I'll tell you this: I've traveled quite a bit as a musician, and I actually have blogged about how amazing it is to travel when you've got people that you are traveling to to connect with. And it's and it's a little different in business travel because it's a little bit more when you're going there for an internal purpose and you have a little time to actually be with the people. It's similar to business travel in the sense that you're you're going there to meet with someone. The people are as much the reason you're going there as the the destination, and they show you their town. Mm. They're like, oh, come over here. This is my favorite coffee shop. Or you got to eat at this restaurant. Or you got to go check out this thing. Yeah, and cool, you see right? the see it through their lens. And so I'm sure it's it's probably obvious to you if you're thinking about this trip. But I tell you, it is. I got spoiled because when I started to travel outside of being a musician on the road, just kind of going from like show to show with other musicians and had to just kind of go be just a normal traveler. It, it was, I missed it. You know, I had withdrawal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You show up in a town for a business meeting, you do the meeting and then you're back to the airport and off you go, or you're, you know, inside a hotel and it's, it's not the same experience at all. And, and, you know, it's a funny thing, Douglas, because the, if you think about why are you alive? There's this great Charles Bukowski quote where he says, uh, people get so up in arms and, and outraged over tiny little things that don't matter. And then they seem, when it comes to something important, like the meaning of their lives, they don't even notice. Mm. I think that the ability to go out there on the road and meet people and talk to people about just their life experience is that's the human, that's the human adventure to be good to each other and to laugh and smile and share a cup of coffee or a beer or, and just acknowledge, you know, that we're all in this big adventure together. You just don't, it, that's not what happens in business. In business, today we are focused on delivering 32%, you know, whatever, and we're making sure that we have our minimum viable product by March 24th. And look, I get it. Okay. And these things are important, but that's, but we're not here to deliver that app on time. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not why I was born, to make sure that you know we have a 22% increase in this month's dividend. That's why we always talk about connection before content, because even though we have some content to get through and understand together and make progress on, if we make the connection a lesser priority, we all have experienced that and the results yeah. are just not as good. Well, Neil, you know, I have a feeling we could talk for hours and I know, hours we could. and stuff. And we could. We could just go on. We had to come to an end. So I want to give you an opportunity to leave our listeners with a final thought. 
Well, you know what? There's a there's a great quote from Voltaire that is the the most important decision you make is to be in a good mood. <laughs> this is one of the eight, 18th century's greatest minds, and uh, he was a contemporary of of, of aristocrats and and philosophers, and his final word was, the most important decision you can, you make is to be in a good mood. And I'm sure the Stoics would agree. I would say that was the last, that'll be the thought I'd leave everybody with. Amazing, Neil. Well, I also will just suggest that folks, you know, seek you out on TikTok or LinkedIn or YouTube. all the places. YouTube, go to YouTube. Do YouTube, uh, that's your because favorite. Because I have a very unusual spelling to my name. It's N-E-A-L-F-O-A. RD. And uh, if you just look me up on YouTube, you'll find the whole bank of the of the videos there. So yeah, and we'll put links in the show notes and everything, but highly, oh, highly recommend that folks go and check that stuff out. And Neil, I just want to thank you for the positivity and just the kindness you've been spreading in your message and, and just keep up the good work. I appreciate that, Doug. Uh, thanks for having me on. You're a good egg. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want to know more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about radical inclusion, team health, and working better. VoltageControl.com.